All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Future Cities podcast. My name is Alicia Helmrich, and today I am here with Ryan. Ryan, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell us a bit about your journey to Arizona State University and what you've been doing since you've got there. Hi, Alicia. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to, to be on the podcast today. Um, I am by trade, a Air Force civil engineering officer. Uh, I've been in the Air Force for 13 years. Um, I really became passionate about infrastructure um, after doing my master's degree at the Air Force Institute of Technology when I was a captain. And then um, my family and I, we've bounced across the country for the last, you know, for the 13 years during my career. And um, I've just as I've been in civil engineering squadrons, at bases, managing infrastructures, or at staffs, setting policy for Air Force infrastructure, um, I just really became passionate during my career about how the Air Force can do infrastructure better, how we can manage it better, how we can be more resilient, how we can be more sustainable. So uh, this opportunity came up for me to do a PhD sponsored by the Air Force while still on active duty. Um, and uh, I applied for it and got it and have just been really humbled by this opportunity for the last several years to uh, be in the Resilient Infrastructure Lab at Arizona State University, um, learning a ton, researching a ton, um, meeting some awesome people, and, uh, and really just expanding the way I think about infrastructure. Thank you for that introduction. I should disclaim Ryan and I were in the same lab, so we know each other quite well at this point. And he is about to defend his dissertation. So we really yeah. appreciate that he's taking the time to be on our podcast. But if anybody wants to wish him luck in the comments, I'm sure he would appreciate that. And what we're here talking about today is part of that dissertation, which is dynamic criticality for infrastructure prioritization. And so this falls in this broad space that you were just talking about of urban resilience. What, what got you most interested in urban resilience? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So Air Force Base infrastructure just like a lot of other um, military installation infrastructure is really struggling. Uh, we have such a large inventory in the military um, of real property facilities, uh, horizontal infrastructure, roads, utilities. It all just really adds up and it's aging. And uh, quite frankly, the, the military doesn't have the resources and manpower to replace it and uh, at the rate that it needs to be replaced if we wanted to keep everything really shiny and new, right? So we need to figure out how to pivot our infrastructure, how we manage it, how we maintain it, how we replace it, how we build new infrastructure in light of the Anthropocene and everything that's coming at it. There's just so many accelerations so many changes, so many different weather systems that we have to deal with, uh, human factors, cyber problems, cyber challenges. Um, it's a global competition 
uh, geopolitical competition. There's just so much there. And our infrastructure is is sitting kind of at the center of all those issues. Um, so yeah, that that that's really where um, my interest in urban resilience, urban resilience um, uh, accelerated and why I've been so excited to be part of the lab. So that provides us with a little bit more context over this this space. So let's narrow it narrow it into some context surrounding this this chapter of your dissertation, which is also already published, which is super exciting. So for those of you interested, it will be linked in the description. The full publication title is Dynamic Criticality for Infrastructure Prioritization in Complex Environments. So at the highest level, could you break down what that means for us? Yeah, so it's it's dynamic criticality is this idea predicated upon the fact that infrastructure systems and, and really all systems and their organizations are subjected to constant disturbances now. The environment is so volatile that we're constantly adapting to these disturbances, to these surprises. Some of them are positive, some of them are negative. Um, but every disturbance requires some kind of reaction or adaptation, whether small or large. It may be just some minor everyday thing that comes along that organizations just constantly have to do little micro adjustments to, and that's no big deal. And then there's big disturbances that come along where huge changes need to be made. And it's the organizations that figure out how to uh, change and reprioritize very quickly that are typically the ones that come out on top at the end of those, uh, at the end when, when everyone's looking back on it. So um, uh, for infrastructure, infrastructure managers need to constantly adapt their organizations and their technological systems that they're managing um, when disturbances come along. And so it's this idea, dynamic criticality is this idea that um, as these disturbances come, priorities and exactly what we decide or label as critical is constantly changing, hence the term dynamic criticality. So this kind of implies that maybe there's been a static criticality in the past. Could you describe to us what critical infrastructure has typically meant? The idea of critical infrastructure started emerging a couple decades ago, really when 9-11 um, really kicked off how on a national level, the United States should respond to huge disasters. Hurricane Katrina was another great example. Um, and so FEMA, the, the Department of Homeland Security, that's when they really started to think a little deeper about these things. But the, the modus operandi behind determining criticality for infrastructure was still rooted in building a list of one through N and saying, these are the priorities that we have for infrastructure in this order. This is how we take care of them. And when disasters happen, we prioritize them in this order. And that's really just kind of uninformed. So what we're realizing is that um, what critical infrastructure is really depends upon how you view it. Uh, so I really like the approach that Dr. Susan Clark 
uh, a fellow infrastructure researcher uses. She sees critical infrastructure as the systems that enable human capabilities. So if today your primary need is to be a capable human and you need to get to work, then today your critical infrastructure is our road networks, fuel network or fuel systems, transportation control systems. Those are your most critical infrastructure priorities for that day for you. But if, for example, FEMA, a very large organization, is coordinating the response to a post-hurricane disaster, then infrastructure supporting basic human needs becomes the most critical. Food systems, water, supply chain management, power, et cetera. So um, that's why recognizing the existence and the need to develop dynamic criticality as a discipline or as a point of view within infrastructure is so important. We can't really say today that this list of one through N is our priority for infrastructure because tomorrow's disturbance may require us to reorder that list. Yeah, that is some great work by Susan Clark. I think you're referring to her paper, A Capabilities Approach to Prioritization of Critical Infrastructure. So we'll go ahead and link that in the description as well for everyone to check out. But something that you said was really interesting to me, and that was that this definition of critical infrastructure kind of emerged from 9-11, which also in research that I've done, I'm trying to figure out where resilient infrastructure has emerged. It was that same space. So this really seems like it was a turning point for our infrastructure systems and just goes to show the vast array of disturbances you could potentially have because now a lot of our resilient infrastructure literature is focused around climate change and addressing different extreme weather events. So thinking about this need to be able to prioritize critical infrastructure in the context of any of these said disturbances um, and to enable recovery and resilience, how does one even begin this prioritization or this ranking? Okay, so first off, I'm gonna just gonna insult myself a little bit and, and other infrastructure managers and say that we don't know how to do this very well, right? So, um, uh, but that's why we, that's why we wrote this paper. So we went back and looked at techniques from other domains. We wanted to see how these other in, uh, domains are were able to do dynamic criticality, how they developed disciplines, techniques, and strategies to allow them to really reprioritize when uh, disturbances arrived. So we looked at leadership and organizational change we looked at the military uh, in the defense world and how they uh, do that in, in, in their global work. We looked at uh, medical emergency and triage techniques. Um, we also looked at the manufacturing world and how they uh, react to market changes and demand changes. And then we also looked at disaster response planning methods and strategies as well. So um, each one of these domains. Uh, has developed their own methodologies for how they approach these dynamic changes. And it, it was really interesting to observe the differences between them. Uh, and, and what uh, I realized was a differentiating factor was the nature of the disturbances 
that those domains were experiencing. So in some cases, uh, the domains were facing disturbances that were really short. Uh, there was a very clear beginning and a very clear end and uh, quick reactions were necessary uh, in, in, in those cases. And then other disturbances are more continuous. Uh, manufacturing deals with this a lot. The military deals with this a lot, uh, where you you have these long, um, seemingly never-ending problems that are just constantly uh, morphing and changing, where new dis novel disturbances fall within that timeline, but they're all kind of interconnected and flow from one to another. And so uh, constant reorientation and reaction is necessary, and you, you constantly have to switch up the strategy that you're you're using to address it. And then there was this weird uh, hybrid disturbance that some uh, domains faced where there was a clear beginning and end, but it still required uh, a lot of adjustments and reorienting within the disturbance. So um, that was kind of the starting point to how these domains got at uh, reprioritizing and developing strategies towards dynamic criticality. I think there's something really reassuring just knowing that there's other fields that also struggle with this issue of being in volatile environments. Like infrastructure managers aren't the first ones to have to like pave the way for this. Like there's obviously specific context that infrastructure managers have to deal with, but it's just reassuring to know like this is something that's faced by a lot of different fields as you were just describing. And so would you be able to provide maybe like a tangible example of how that prioritization happens in some of these different uh, fields that you're listing? Yeah, so I, I definitely developed some favorites from the uh, strategies that we observed in the other domains. Um, so uh, I'll talk first about medical triage. So the disturbances that medical triage faces are very acute and short. Uh, whether it's a patient walking into a hospital and the, the triage professional at the desk needs to take their vitals and decide where they should be prioritized on the you know, constantly changing prioritize or priority list as patients come in, or whether it's a paramedic showing up on scene at a, a, a car wreck with multiple injuries, multiple people involved, and they have to prioritize the people there. So there is a sorting process that goes on. Um, and then there are specific criteria that those professionals are provided to look for. Now that comes from more continuous medical research, stuff that's constantly ongoing um, and that's in the medical literature out there. But by and large, these procedures that these professionals use are kind of set in stone. And as they, uh, as they follow them, they, they have to make decisions about where patient, you know, A should be put on the list compared to patients B, C, and D. And those heuristics that they ask, which are the same questions with, which every, with every patient that they evaluate, um, those are the questions that determine where those patients get stacked. And, um, and so that kind of 
for one, it absolves the professional of uh, any personal responsibility for that decision-making because they're just following the rules and the rules are set. And second, those rules are set for very good reasons based on a lot of research in the past. And so it, it allows the decision-makers to have a fair amount of confidence in their decision-making especially when you know disgruntled patients have questions about why they're not getting seen fast enough. Um, so medical triage is a great example there. Uh, and I think that infrastructure could do really well in trying to apply similar uh, heuristical techniques or triage techniques to how we approach our infrastructure when really, really acute disasters occur. Um, so then, uh, you know, I'll move on to another example. So reconfigurable manufacturing. In the manufacturing world, uh, it's more of a continuous process. They're constantly making widgets and then changing the widgets that they're making or making new widgets. And they're having to decide based on mark the market and the changes they're seeing in the market, what uh, they should prioritize and then how they should best produce uh, whatever they have decided to produce. So um, that's where reconfigurable manufacturing was born. Uh, it's a, it's, a, it's a, a suite of machines that uh, engineers have developed that allow a manufacturing company to change what and in what order they produce pieces, parts, and then assemble the final product. And it really has made uh, manufacturing companies a lot more flexible in how they um, can change based on market conditions. Uh, they also implemented, along with the engineered tech technological side of things, and this is where infrastructure managers can really, I think, benefit, they implemented a lot of new processes that are really mostly just organizational. Uh, first, they spend a lot of time uh, getting to know their stakeholders and even soliciting or crowdsourcing design ideas from people outside the company, sometimes just straight from consumers. And that allows them to really hone in on the the, the products and the methodologies that are that get at the customer's needs most effectively. Um, so that that was another just best practice that manufacturing brought in in the continuous reevaluation world. And then as far as their um, their internal practices go, a lot of manufacturing companies have gotten very good at remembering history and remembering what they did in the past that worked and what didn't work. And this is another area I think where infrastructure managers can learn a lot. And I speak for myself as an Air Force officer too. Man, like we're constantly dealing with disturbances to the point where we forget what we did last week because just stuff's coming at us so fast. And that can be, uh, it, it makes us adaptable, but it also causes us to forget some of the best practices and we reinvent the wheel constantly. But many these manufacturing companies have figured out how to 
just draw on past experience and say, oh, okay, the market conditions we're facing today are actually extremely similar to, you know, something that we've dealt with before. Instead of coming up with a whole new process, let's just apply the one that worked already, pull that one back out of the toolbox and, and, and go. So uh, that's, that's a way in which manufacturing systems have applied dynamic criticality and have made themselves more, more flexible in, in, during change. And then another one that I really like is, is actually a military strategy, and it's called the center of gravity uh, strategy technique. And this involves a, an intimate knowledge of the system that you work with. So uh, the center of gravity uh, strategy re revolves around the goal of your organization for whatever the disturbance or the mission is. So in, in the context of the military, you're given a task to do, a mission to accomplish, and then you need to map out all the different parts and pieces that influence that mission. So they could be uh, they don't have to just be military in nature. They could be social issues. They could be economic issues. They could be some kind of physical barrier. Um, and you map all of these out, and then you figure out what the most important uh, pieces of that map are to accomplishing your mission. And that's called the center of gravity. Everything revolves around it. And so then you need to figure out the capabilities that enable those centers of gravity, the ones that are most important to mission accomplishment. And when you know those critical capabilities, if you're doing self-evaluation for defense, then you know which capabilities you need to focus on and make more resilient, right? And if you're focusing on an adversary or a competitor, then you know which capabilities you need to destabilize in order to um, accomplish your mission. So, you know, it goes both ways and the analysis goes both ways. So I think infrastructure managers can benefit a lot from really, really knowing their system to the point where any kind of change or disturbance, they can immediately contextualize that and know, okay, that's gonna affect this and it's gonna have these ramifications and it's going to affect this center of gravity in this way. Those were all, amazing examples to begin to understand what you were describing with the various prioritizations across the fields. I will give one shameless plug, and that is on the leadership and organizational change. If anybody was disappointed, there was not an example on that front. You can listen to our podcast from last month, which actually explored the navigating of exploitative and explorative behaviors. Um, so feel free to check that out if you are interested in the leadership component. But pulling it back in. <laughs> no, but that's some great work, by the way. I will say that. Oh, and we did you. draw on that quite a bit. I appreciate it. But yeah, I figured, figured I'd give that self shout out while we were on the topic. No uh, judgment here. Thank you. Thank you. So I think in your paper, you have this amazing visual of how you brought all these different pieces together to like kind of understand the characteristics of these different prioritizations to apply to our infrastructure systems. You have different themes and competencies is what you've called them for dynamic criticality. Could you break these down? Um, you have, I think you have goals, structures, sense-making, strategies, just you've, you've really put 
all of these different um, approaches into the kind of like these bite-sized pieces for infrastructure managers to begin tweaking their own processes. Could you go ahead and describe these to our audience? Right. So those four themes are critical to unlocking dynamic criticality within an organization, whether it's infrastructure or one of the other domains we studied. We found that pretty much all of the domains we looked at had some representation of those themes just in different forms. So the first one, goals, the different organizations began by setting goals toward dynamic criticality. And that had to come in different forms because the goals of medical triage are not going to be the same goals as um, organizational change and leadership. You're just going to see differences there. However, the contextualized for them, the goals that they were setting were goals towards dynamic criticality for what they had to do. So within goals, uh, there were uh, six themes that we, or sub-themes that we identified or competencies rather. Um, and the, those six fell within kind of two subcategories. The first was rapid adaptation, and the second was enabling quick decision making. And so those two um, subcategories had these competencies within each. Let's talk about rap, rap, rapid adaptation real quick. So learn uh, organizations needed to set goals towards detecting and reacting quickly or reaching some point of self-organizing adaptability, which is um, this idea that you need to find a balance between resilience and efficiency. And if you try to, if you end up specializing too much in each of them, it goes back to you know what you talked about in last month's podcast um, uh, with uh, this, ambidexterity that you need to have um, within your organization. Uh, and if you anchor yourself too much in resilience, you're going to be kind of blown to and fro by the wind a bit too much. And if you anchor yourself a bit too much to efficiency, then you're just not going to move when disturbances come. Uh, and then there's this idea of requisite variety, which is also kind of a sub-competency of rapid adaptation. Um, and that's where you need to focus your organization on not having a specific a playbook that covers every permutation of every disturbance that you're going to deal with because that's just never going to happen but rather you need to build your organization's capabilities to the point where you can morph and change whenever you need to and that as a discipline will allow you to deal with most things that come your way. So that's just an example of some of the sub-competencies under goals. Um, within structures, uh, we found that a number of the domains had governance structures that were flexible. And this has already been kind of identified in the infrastructure world itself. Some of the work with uh, Dr. Mikhail Chester in, um, in a paper that he wrote that, which talks about uh, infrastructure governance in the Anthropocene and there's, there's other work out there on this topic as well. Um, but learning how to structure your organization so that the, the governance can change 
when disturbances kick off. Disaster response did this brilliantly. The, um, the, the, FEMA, the FEMA world knows how to pivot its governance structures when disasters hit. It has this all spelled out. It says, okay, when we're in periods of equilibrium, this is what our governance structures look like. We have this hierarchical structure. This person's in charge. These people do this. It has roles, roles and responsibilities clearly laid out. And then when disasters hit, it has the same thing. And it says we pivot to this type of governance structure. These people are then in charge. These people are making these decisions. And these, these people have these kinds of roles and responsibilities. And what you see, and this shouldn't be terribly surprising, is that governance structures get a lot flatter whenever disturbances um, happen, whenever disturbances are, are happening. Meaning that the people, like, there's less bureaucracy. There just has to be uh, in order for organizations to be um, to be more flexible. And then so so that's that's uh, structures. And then we get into this idea of sense making, right? Where we're trying to decipher all this information, the, the organizations that we looked at, the military, it's a great example of how they have to decipher information. Manufacturing is constantly bringing information in as well. Um, to try to choose the the best strategy for the future. Um, and so sense making has these two sub some competencies of horizon scanning and knowledge co-production. Knowledge co-production really focuses on interorganizational collaboration and the the um, as well as unlocking creativity within organization. Um, without those, you tend to stifle the production of knowledge and the generation of new ideas. Um, so that's super, super important. And infrastructure organizations, since a lot of them are often bureaucratic organizations that are sometimes governmental, sometimes they're not, but there's just a lot of bureaucracy involved in these organizations. Sometimes you tend to have knowledge co-production be a little bit more stovepiped. The, the the knowledge tends to just kind of sit in its own office and it doesn't really leave that office. And so we need to change that. And then there's horizon scanning, which is going to be super important for um, the, the Anthropocene going forward as we just see changes and volatility continue to accelerate. Uh, Dr. Mikhail Chester, who I already mentioned in his infrastructure government governance article. He also just recently wrote another one called Infrastructure Autopoiesis, which analyzes uh, and talks heavily about horizon scanning and how organization, how infrastructure organizations can spend um, some good time on looking forward towards the future and analyzing some of the near misses and some of the, the the scenarios where things almost went really, really poorly, or a disaster almost really occurred. And Nassim Taleb, the author of Black, The Black Swan and Anti-Fragile, talks about this a lot. Those organizations that are ignoring near misses are really missing out on the opportunity to, to change their organizations and make them more resilient and ready to, to absorb um, and grow from, uh, from disturbances. So then there's this last one, right, called strategies. That's the, the final theme of the paper. 
and of the framework that, that we discuss in dynamic criticality. And that's where I, I, I got a little bit ahead of myself when I talked about the acute, the continuous and the hybrid uh, disturbances, but we identified strategies that correlate to these three disturbance types. And then we labeled them acute strategies, continuous strategies and hybrid strategies. Um, and there's a lot of them, so I, I can't go through each one, but the, the bottom line there is that there are, it's not a playbook. It's not a, uh, um, a rigid list of, hey, here's what you do in this scenario and here's what you do in that scenario. But it's basically a menu of the different techniques that apply to different situations and different scenarios, depending on the disturbance type that you're experiencing. And that's where I think the rubber meets the road for infrastructure managers and they can benefit from those. Well, that's gonna be a great transition into my next question. But first, I do want to say Ryan's just full of recommendations for our audience. So in the description, you will also be able to find both both of Mike Chester's papers, as well as the book recommendation, The Black Swan. But keeping us on topic, for our infrastructure managers that are listening, how can they apply this? What would be if you had to give them a... a a guidebook to using your not rigid guidebook. What would that look like? <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So there are a number of techniques to practice here. Uh, the The three examples I gave previously um, would already give infrastructures a big to-do list right there. So um, I'll use center of gravity analysis, uh, which in the paper is referred to as nodal networks. Uh, as the um, as the the strategy um, in the at the height of the COVID crisis in 2021 in Florida, there was a liquid oxygen shortage. Uh, that was because the hospitals um, at the time were dealing with so many COVID patients who were having respiratory issues. They were needing to provide pure oxygen to help them breathe, right? So the supply of liquid oxygen was quickly drying up in Tampa, Florida. Well, it just so happens that the water distribution system and the water treatment plants within Tampa, Florida also use liquid oxygen as part of their water treatment process. It helps with the smell and a number of other issues. So, um, all of a sudden, these water um, treatment plants weren't sure if they were going to be able to provide the volume of water and treat the volume of water that they were going to need to keep up with the demand. Well, this was in 2021, late 2021, I might add. Like we'd been going through the COVID crisis for a year and a half by that point. At no point had this been considered a problem or a, um, a danger of running out of liquid oxygen. And this is where I get into this nodal network issue. If infrastructure managers, and you know, not to not to dog on these guys too much in Florida, but if they had been spending time analyzing the weaknesses of their system rather than just kind of being business as usual, well, we just, you know, we we treat water, that's what we do, guys. You know, if they had been focused on analyzing their system for weaknesses and 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 seeing the COVID crisis consuming similar resources, 
they may have been able to identify this weakness far before it ever became a problem. And then maybe they'd been able to, they would have been able to coordinate something or change their supply chain or something like that and um, make sure that, you know, they, that liquid oxygen was being provided at the rate it needed to be provided. But that was just, it ended up not being a thing. Like they got through it and, and all was well at the end of the day, but it just, it became a concern all of a sudden. And some, if they, if the engineers had really known their system so well that they had identified that issue prior to, prior to it becoming an issue, and they had been working on some horizon scanning within their, their repetitive tasks, then maybe that wouldn't have been a problem. So that's just an example of how knowing your system is so important. So I can't stress that enough. I think I saw that more than anywhere else within these disciplines within the other domains. The, the, the organizations that really get it right are the ones that know their system and they know their organization and they know how to change it in response to, um, to disturbances. The last one I'll say is coll proactive collaboration within and outside the organization. I can't stress this enough either. Um, manufacturing systems and disaster response disciplines were really good at this in the paper. Uh, they, uh, they coordinate a lot, but um, <laughs> the disaster response world had to learn really painfully with Hurricane Katrina, right? They improved a lot of their processes afterwards, but that just wasn't an infrastructure failure as much as we like to blame the levees and the engineering and how they failed it was also there was also a lot of organizational failure that went along with it um the the infrastructure organizations in the area the local governments they didn't know how to talk to each other they had not practiced talking to each other and so they when a huge stressor like Katrina came along, they didn't know how to work together and that really amplified the pain that the local population felt as a result. It wasn't, so it wasn't just the infrastructure. All right, thank you, Ryan. To close out, do you have a haiku prepared for our audience? I do. Practice responses, know your system, watch the horizon. The Future Cities podcast is an outreach effort brought to you by Natura-based solutions for urban resilience in the Anthropocene, or Natura. To learn more, please visit www.natura-net.org. If you have any questions, feedback, or suggestions for future episodes, you can email us at futurecitiespodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at futurecitiespod. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.